It's July 2nd, 2015, and you're listening to the Beer Temple Insiders Roundtable. Remember this is what we wanted. Remember this is what we said. To never be heard or seen from again, 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 again. Remember this is what we wanted. Remember this is what we said. To never be heard or seen from again, 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 again. to the inaugural episode of the Beer Temple Insiders Roundtable. I am your host, Chris Quinn, and I am very excited to finally make this show a reality. The show has been in the works for quite a long time, and I wanted to thank Lumpen Radio and all the people here at the Coast uh, Prosperity Sphere in Bridgeport for the uh, ability to bring this show to all of you. So thank you guys so much. Tonight we've got a great show lined up, uh, a really amazing panel of, uh, well, I guess I should say insiders. I give the name of the show, shouldn't I? Uh, yeah, a really fun group of people are here with me at the Co-Prosperity Sphere in Bridgeport. And we've got uh, a whole bunch of beery things to talk about. But before I uh, got to the introductions of my guest today, I wanted to talk just a little bit about what my hope for this show is. As the owner of a craft beer store here in Chicago called The Beer Temple, and just really more generally as a lover of good beer, I spend a lot of time not just drinking craft beer, but also talking about it and really even just thinking about it. And I have realized over the years that some of my most exciting beer experiences haven't been while waiting in line for a bottle release or at some huge beer festival. Although, you know, those can be tons of fun too, don't get me wrong. But to me, really, the best and most fulfilling beer beer experiences have been great conversations over beer, about beer, with people whose opinions I admire and respect. And, you know, in these days I hear a lot of sensationalized, and I'm, I'm using air quotes even though you can't see me now, but I'm saying, you know, beer news. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, beer news out there. You know, these are the, the top ten lists, the most extreme beers or the rarest beers, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, again, nothing inherently wrong with those things, but I think that it's time to raise the level of discourse about craft beer. And while I am in a position where I can just call up a brewer friend of mine or a publican or a beer journalist or a beer rep, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and have these kind of talks, I realize that not everyone is in the same boat as me and doesn't feel like devoting their entire life's work to beer just in order to form these kind of uh, friendships. So uh, what I'm hoping to do is each week assemble a small rotating group of beer insiders to sit down and talk beer with me. What I hope to do is open up a window to what it's like on the inside. How do the people making, selling, marketing, and facilitating the beer getting into your glass feel about the topics that are, are a part of their everyday lives? I think um, I think you'll realize that there's there's more than one side to a lot of these issues, and certainly more than one opinion. And uh, while I'm not looking to have some sort of cable news style debate show, I also don't think there's anything wrong with some spirited conversation. And hopefully, this show will be as entertaining and enlightening for you, the listener, as it will be for us, the insiders. Um, 
Uh, other quick note, uh, I will say right now uh, off the bat that I am not actually at the Co-Prosperity Sphere in Bridgeport, Chicago right now, but instead I am uh, sitting in the Craft Beer Temple uh, in the store down under the uh, the store actually in the basement recording uh, this intro, re-recording this intro because there was a bit of a glitch on our first show, a little first show hiccup, and uh, we did not start the recording until a little bit into the actual show. Since I could pretty much figure out exactly what I wanted to say, I figured I would kind of write that down and, uh, you know, re-record it and, and just add it to the front of the show. But when we jump in, um, we will have already introduced our first guest, who is Matt Arata from the Beer Download Podcast. He is kind of a beer journalist, beer just lover, someone who's been into the beer scene from, I guess, a media or podcast uh, side of things for quite a while here in Chicago. And we started to introduce our second guest, who is Mike Shellow from Pipeworks Brewing. He is kind of the wearer of many hats over at Pipeworks Brewing, but I think specifically he is in charge of their barrel program. So when we uh, jump into Pipeworks, we're talking a little bit about their brewery, what makes them unique and specific. With that, I'll let you get to the show and the introduction of our guests. Thanks a lot. Because you guys just really flew in the face of all conventional wisdoms right from the get-go only bombers nothing year-round yeah only limited stuff which honestly Uh, now sounds like craziness uh i mean it kind of it shakes itself out so we started with no year rounds no repeating beers and then we realized oh people love this beer uh we should make that again it was never fully the goal to never repeat a beer but it was like we'll make things and Till people like them, and if they like them, we'll bring them back. If they don't, we'll make something else. And really, it comes from this like us wanting to just make a bunch of new stuff, wanting to do something different all the time, and wanting to like kind of explore what you can do in the realm of making craft beer. And now you're going corporate. You sold out sold and went out. corporate. We're eighty-four uh, percent owned by Miller Coors. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, no, yeah, congratulations. Kidding. Actually, we still have no investors, so everything we've done has either been through Kickstarter money or now we have a bank loan, but. Awesome. Uh, yeah, no outside influence at all. Very the, cool. the bank finally trusted you. Uh, we tricked them pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> they, they should know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, no, no, we didn't. They did that on their own accord. So did the Small Business Association. They don't. <laughs> no one got drunk. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the third uh, member, the third guest insider today, is uh, Gerald O'Ken- uh, O'Kennard. Uh, thank you very much for for being on the show, Gerald. And really, I think. You may need to explain yourself. You need to explain yourself. I because, know. Because unlike a podcaster <laughs> and a brewer, I mean, people may not know your job exists, although it's, you Yes, know, I'm very niche. Yeah. It's very cool. So you are the director of the Beverage Testing Institute. That's right. And um, can you just tell the listeners what that is? Sure. Yeah. So we're an, an organization that was started in 1981 to really help consumers find the best wines. And in 1994, uh, we started reviewing beers and spirits. So we run competitions. That's the best way to think of our company. We run the World Beer Championships, World Wine Championships. We run the spirits competition here. All in Chicago, we use people like yourself as our judges, people that yep. really know what they're talking about. Full disclosure, about. <laughs> I am on the, on the beer panel there. That's right. And uh, really, we're a marketing company. I mean, most competitions are really marketing-driven anyway. They're, people are trying to enter the competition and win awards to, to help promote their beer. So we've been doing that. Uh, we like to th- feel that we do it more objectively and more consistently. We have a 
blind tasting methodology that we've been fine tuning for years. So, um, yeah, we review a lot of things, wines, beers, and spirits full time here in Chicago. Awesome. And can you, uh, my main reason for bringing you here is, uh, can you introduce me to Neil Patrick Harris? Sure. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. It's a good buddy of mine. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know in the, what is it? Mill Heineken light, right? Yeah. Heineken light. Heineken light, uh, Features you guys pretty prominently. And Patrick Stewart with Strombo, too. I can introduce you to him as well. Nice. (laughs) Very cool. On the cider tip. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially what you do is just do blind tastings and then tell people what's the best. Yeah. Things shake out like they do. Like what Matt was doing in his, you know, his organization, we do on a, you know, a daily basis. We line up beers. Not that we're trying to find necessarily... um, uh, the, the the best beer in the world every day, but they pop up once in a while when you yeah. taste a thousand beers a year. Um, so that's, yeah. I mean, we've been doing that consistently since 1981. That's amazing. I think you yeah. guys do it a little more scientifically than we did. <laughs> well, I was yes. going to say, is Sophie the highest <laughs> rated beer ever? And if, if not, who's wrong? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've had a couple 99-pointers. That's about as high as we've really? been. Yeah. Can you think of any of them? Because it's all about ratings. We know that. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a whaler. I don't. I don't yeah, follow right. That stuff. I'm sure they were whales too, right? The ones yeah. got nine, nine, they have to be. Um, well, now that we've all introduced ourselves, and I've thanked you all um, proficiently, hopefully for for, for coming on. Um, I wanted to just kind of start out the show, and uh, this may be a uh, a recurring segment. I don't know. I mean, this is kind of kind of on the fly here. Um, speaking of which, if you guys want to participate in the show, feel free to uh, tweet at the Beer Temple with uh, any of your comments. Uh, industry people, I'm especially interested in what you guys have to say. Certainly do not feel bad if we don't read out your question or comment on the air because this is the first time we're doing it as well, and we're just trying to struggle our way through it for the time being. But that said, I wanted to move on. And before we got to some of the, the more topical news, um, something that I always like to talk to, in, I mean, whenever I talk to industry people or, or beer people, it, it always comes around, uh, so, so what, do you, what are you drinking? What do you like lately? What, what do you have? What do you have? We all kind of want to know what, what people are, are digging. So uh, I figured I would uh, kind of go first and, uh, and, and talk about it. If it's That's nothing... Good. Give us a minute or two to think. <laughs> yeah, yes. right? Um, and I'll say I had a, uh, a Pilsner. I've been, for the past several years, been, been really into to Pilsners, and I'm always on the hunt for, for new, good Pilsners. I, I tend to find a lot of people who have been drinking craft beer for a while go back to the Pilsner. Once you've had That's a cycle. good Pilsner, you realize... I remember having my first amazing Pilsner. It was one of the uh, Thumbprint series. It was called Unplugged at the time from uh, New Glarus Brewing. Mm-hmm. They had one called Bohemian Pilsner. Mm-hmm. And it was a Czech-style Pils. Yeah, I remember that. And it, it was like jaw-dropping. I think it was back in my trading days, and it was like an add-on. It was an extra. And it, my jaw dropped, and I said... I turned to my wife, um, and I said... I understand why this style dominated the world now because mm-hmm. when they're done beautifully well, I mean, there's just really no reason to drink. Perfect. Beer. Yeah, it's great. In fact, one of the beers that I brought for uh, us to be drinking today, in fact, if you hear cans opening or bottles, just, you know, we're just kind of sitting around drinking beer. I brought one of my all-time favorite pills, which is Prima Pills from Victory. Uh, but that is not the beer that I was going to mention. I wanted to talk about uh, Steamworks Pilsner 
from uh, British Columbia. I think they're right outside of uh, Vancouver. Um, really, really awesome uh, Pilsner. Uh, a little hoppy, but certainly in that German Pils style. It's not this Neo super hopped up Pils that you're getting. And it was one of those things where you see the can, the mark, the packaging's like pretty crappy. It's just really not there. The rep brings it in and you're like, uh, this is fine. I mean, half the time, honestly, sorry reps out there, but I like, okay, I'll get to this. And then I never do. And then it, it just finds its way into the trash, <laughs> but I tried it and it was amazing. Just super crisp. Um, now my only fear is that no, no other store will we'll bring it in <laughs> so now it'll just go bad and they'll never reorder it and then it'll just disappear which just tends to happen pallets. yeah i have to sell pallets but there's been plenty of times what, what, what can you commit to chris come on yeah, yeah right i can do a layer of a pallet a week i guess <laughs> you know 10 yeah 12. well how, how often <laughs> um so yeah i mean for me it, it's with the the summer you know uh, like so many other people i just go lager 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 Happy pale, and you can mm-hmm. see that's what I brought because that's what sure. I like to drink. But. Uh, you, you were speaking of the Pilsner Raquel. I actually tried. They have that throwback uh, four pack of the Tall Boys out right now. Yeah, um, and I hadn't had one like from a can ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was it was interesting, and and I tried it, and I really liked it, and it t- tastes nothing like no like what you th- what what you normally think is a Pilsner. Mm-hmm. No. Um, because everything nowadays is German pilsners, and people may not realize that there's two very different categories of pils. There's the, the Czech pils and the German pils, mm-hmm. and everything is now the German pils, mm-hmm. although, you know, the style originates in, uh, from the Czech Republic or, you know, what is now the, the Czech Republic. And uh, Pilsner Arkell is really one of only a few. I mean, even these Czech—how many times I've gotten a U.S. craft beer— called a Czech Pils, you drink it, and you're like, this is a German Pils. Mm-hmm. This is not a Czech Pils. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the Pilsner Kel stuff lately has been just amazing out mm-hmm. of the package. And it can be pretty stinky. I mean, it can be, it used to be really bad. Mm-hmm. Pretty terrible. I mean, but really <laughs> good. Is that your beer? Is that what you've been drinking? Uh, I guess that's my beer. I've, I've, I haven't been drinking a lot of it. I only bought the one four pack. But uh. well, we went first with you, so we'll, we'll, we won't we won't make you go first again. We're gonna go with Mike. What are you drinking lately and liking? Sure. What's uh, interesting you, intriguing you? Well, I got. I'm gonna be a homer real quick, but we just made a uh, some more Berliner Weiss that we hadn't made in a few years. Yeah. They've been a. Uh, they were a bugaboo for a little bit. It's a difficult process. Yeah, it was the Blue Lady, and what was the the regular? Uh, Flower Child. So Flower that's kind of the, the base version, and that's actually the one I, I prefer. The uh, first batch of Flower Child you guys bottled was the best sour beer you guys have ever yeah. made, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the same base for all of them. So, like, when we add fruits, like, unlike the those hoppy beers we make, like the, the Ninja series, I'm probably not supposed to say legally, but... The ones that have ninja eyes on them, those are all different. <laughs> They're all, malt bills are different. Uh, you know, the hops are different. But uh, Wait, why can't you call it the ninja series? Uh, cease and desist situations. Uh, mm. yeah. Are there oh. other ninjas out there? Did the They're, ninjas well, come? apparently there's only one. And they, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, we have to keep it mom. They're very quiet. Oh. Uh, yeah, we got, a, we got a cease and desist from a different, another brewery. And is this something that you cannot talk about? I don't think I can. T- I can probably talk about it, but I can't talk about who it is and right. what, what the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the specifics are. But we can't use the word ninja on its own anymore. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Um, hmm. So the uh, that sucks. Non, non, yeah, the non martial arts related double IPA series <laughs> featuring typically one hop that we do. Uh, those all have different malt bases, but all those Berliner Weisses we did were all the same base beer okay. that we just added fruit to. Same thing with all those like fruited double IPAs we do. Those are all changed to suit the fruit and the hops. So. Are you allowed to talk about the name of those beers? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So, well, yeah. Uh, there's like Square Grouper was the base one, and then we tweak them all for, you know, Crimson Snapper, uh, Sherbet's one of those. They're all, all just high alcohol beers with uh, big hop profiles, really low secret kind of ABV in there, and then some sort of fruit that elevates the hop character. Okay. Um, but yeah, what what I'm drinking now is uh, Flower Child, and then I always drink kind of the Firestone Walker stuff, as you know. I, I do know. Come in and get a six pack of that about once a week, either the Pivo Pills, Hoppy Pills and Pills. Yeah, I mean, Hoppy Pills and Pills. <laughs> yep. And I, I, despite where I work, I love all that high ABV intensity uh, bomber thing, but I'm kind of surrounded by it all the time. So if I go out and buy beer, it's always like, let's keep it under five percent alcohol. <laughs> I'm gonna yep. put it in my fridge. So totally. something something that's just clean, clean, I can drink three of and not. Mm-hmm. be late to work in the morning yeah it's, but it's something i have found i i have a theory that it's kind of the the cycle of the beer drinker is you know someone who's new to craft beer maybe they like something that is just completely smacking you in the face with something whether it's an adjunct or the alcohol or the hop character well, you identify like intensity with the difference so the idea mm-hmm. of like macro beer is bland and down the middle for whatever that flavor profile is and all of a sudden you experience hops so you're going to go all the way to 11 mm-hmm. on hops. And right. you're like, you know what, you can scale it back. I can still understand if this is a good beer or not. And I also think people like to feel, um, they like to be able to identify something. So I remember the first time that I was like, oh, those are hops. So now mm-hmm. when I drink beer, I can identify hops. So very hoppy beers I like because I can associate these flavors. Yeah, totally. And then you can do it with, I remember the first time I figured out what a yeast flavor was in a beer. It was a Unibrew beer, La Fin du Monde, still one of my absolute favorites. I was like, so that flavor in that beer that I've always drank, I was like, what is that flavor? That's what yeast is. So, you know, those Belgian beers are, you know, extreme in a different way. And yeah. now sour, I see people just going, what's the sour, what's the most the sour, sour beer you have? Mm-hmm. Or, or getting a sour beer and buying it from me and saying... You know what? I don't know. Uh, it just wasn't sour enough for me. <laughs> right. You know? And I think, um, getting back to what I was saying before, there's kind of this cycle where they start out with the extremes and then slowly kind of then go to more kind of balanced, subtle, nuanced beers yeah. and eventually go to Pilsners and Happy right. Hobby Pilsners. And I'm just saying <laughs> that all, just because what all I like. Back, <laughs> it all comes back to what I like. Well, it all comes back around to like whatever you start or like sure. something very basic. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if you grow up and like the first beer you have for the first five years you drink is like a, a Miller Lite, you're training your palate in some way to want a light, crisp, refreshing, mm-hmm. like relatively neutral beer. So when you get to a version of that that's actually flavorful, it, that's what you're going to recognize. That's what you're going to come back to and be like, this is what I've had. This is what I know. Uh-huh. And they're incredibly right. well made when they're good. And okay. usually you upgrade the, the flavor yeah. and the brand, let's right. say, you know, totally. like you're doing the adult been there done that version of that particular style you right know? so that's an interesting question do you now think that people who are coming of a of drinking age or maybe you know under drinking age but you know they're starting to drink let's say and they've got all these craft beers where it's not necessarily the same situation as when we were starting right. to drink beer yep. are they going to be in a different situation when they kind of come full circle back to let's call it a, a more mature beer drinker because that isn't going to be the case from them where they started drinking necessarily the really 
yeah. you know, macro stuff. I, I entirely believe that will be the case. Me okay. Too. I yeah. mean, the statistics bear that out too. Wasn't that the thing that got uh, Anheuser-Busch and Bev worried was that a certain percentage of young people had never heard of Budweiser before? Yeah, I mean, that's so where's the baseline, you yeah. know, shifting to right. in terms of a palate? You know? Okay. Where do you mm-hmm. think it's shifting to? Well, I had this discussion actually with the brewer of Anheuser-Busch years ago. We were doing a press trip. We were visiting their hop fields, and I was like, you know, you guys got great hop fields. It's like the best I've ever seen, and why don't you put some of them in your beers? Right. (laughs) Don't you think that would be a good idea? It was, well, there's no demand for it right now. Well, what if the American palate changes over the next 10, 20 years? Well, you know, we'll get there when we come to it, and I think we've come to it. Yeah, you now know. they're just buying places that already do it. Mm-hmm. Right, that's right. true. I mean, now they're they're it's kind of growth through acquisition. You know, yep. they're they're growing themselves into the market by just buying people who already are established there. And and somebody I forget who was saying to me years ago, you know, they're doing these loggers, and loggers take a lot longer generally to produce. Anheuser Busch has you know kind of crazy alchemists who can crank out loggers and amazing doing their own version of beer. It's not right. really <laughs> so, but, but imagine how fast they could crank out an ale. I mean, and then think, think of the, how efficiently they could use hops and they have access to the best hops. Mm-hmm. Um, for years, it, it's a little bit less. So now, I mean, they were the kind of watchdog policeman for the entire hop mar- U S hop market and mm-hmm. probably uh, international as well. Mm-hmm. So, why aren't when will they do you think they may like just be like all right you you want to do this you want to have some hoppy pail let's do it yeah well i think the organization i mean if we're going to go into the, the corporate structure has changed tremendously since the you know the the uh, brazilians are in charge and they're looking at the bottom line and the, what's the most profitable if there's a market then they'll cater to it they'll create the products that that make sense for that market to be successful so it could happen i don't know it's still a very large organization so it, it'll take time it's not as nimble right. as you guys so sure. i mean it's really not going to be this year or next but i think you know, within five years, you probably see some of those brands that are native to them as opposed to mergers and acquisitions. Right. Mm-hmm. I think just from a production standpoint, all those facilities are built specifically to make one thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not like us where we're like, hey, let's make a stout today or let's make a double IPA. It's like that's that mash tun is made to efficiently make, you know, Bud Light. And that's all that plant does. Mm-hmm. And like that lauder ton does whatever that thing does to make the perfect Bud Light. Those the fermenters are built so the geometry is perfect for Bud Light. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't work if you just put another different yeast in there or you put a, you know, you got to dry hop it that adds time to it. So uh, I don't think their facilities, I'm sure they could do it, but they're set up to efficiently make one product. Well, so, loggers, let's say. Yeah. I mean, they're making Bex now. So, I mean, right. they could t- tweak the recipes and make, you know, what was it, Anheuser World Select? I mean, right. that was a pretty and, good beer. You and know, they made some a, ale a while ago, yeah, too. Right. But, well, I mean, they're making Goose Island IPA now. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, they are well, doing. They're not it making. Also. They're making that in, in facilities that may that were set up to make like craft things. Oh, so, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they own things in like upstate New York, which right. are set up specifically to make For, their their version of craft. So they didn't just convert a right. They, didn't, they don't. They don't make that in the same facility. Budweiser make, facility. Yeah. Okay, it's interesting. As Makes far sense. as I know, I you, know you know what's a lot easier though than building a new brand is just buying one. Yep. True. <laughs> Build. Um, a, you buy a following too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's the marketing part. You've got that now. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and we're getting and not, a and little bit. And hopefully not touch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So it's funny. It's, it's kind of naturally segueing into what I wanted to, to get into next, but I can't leave you out, Gerald. I mean, you try a thousand beers a year. So what are, I mean, what, what beer is interesting you? Oh, yeah, right. Know? Well, I'm on the Pilsner Kell, you know, <laughs> wagon for certain, especially the cans. Um, I actually was at the brewery doing a, a project with them years ago, and I heard the story that before Prohibition, they were the number one imported beer in the U.S., which I didn't know. And I asked them, you know, tell me more about that. And they said that uh, actually what we used to do we couldn't keep up with the demand, so what we did is we did the lagering on the boats that went to America. I was like, you got to do that, man. That's yeah. such a cool story. So they kind of adapted my idea, and now are cold shipping it across. <laughs> That's why the beer tastes different in the cans now. Oh, They're absolutely. It's cold express shipping. It makes a big difference. And brown bottles. And the brown. Well, I think the cans are the phenomenal yeah, yeah. way to drink it now. Yeah. And that's what I drink in yep. the summer. And then I, if I need something hoppy, it's a little something something, or it's... Um, you know, Lafrique or Calais Belgi, you know, something that's a Belgian IPA style, mm -hmm. you know, Raging Bitch. Like, yep. That's my go-to. <laughs> yeah, that one's awesome, too. Yeah. So interesting. You like your Belgian IPA guy. Oh, yeah. I'm one of those guys. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, We all go through that phase. <laughs> I never laughed. I could never. You'll I mean, you'll make it back like, to Pilsners, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I like them kind of when they're not too cold, when they're like kind of more warm, like they might be in Belgium, you know, right. they actually like really work for me. Yeah. Uh, I tend to like the ones that are, again, those are kind of segmenting off into two different areas, too. There's the the more, like, dry, rustic, peppery Belgian IPAs, like Unine here in mm -hmm. uh, Chicago is making their Maya Belgian IPA is awesome. And then there's, like, the full-on, like, banana, bubblegum on top of on an the IPA. Belgian like side Cali Belgique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, both are both are good, but they're so they're so different in just general uh, flavor that it, it's I don't know how you could or why you would necessarily need to, but it is funny how you can pick up the same style beer and have something just completely mm -hmm. completely different. Yeah. Um, did we get to your beer yet, Mister Arad? I, I said Pilsner Raquel. Pilsner Raquel. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then we kind of skipped you, but okay. So you're <laughs> going two Pilsner Raquels, kind of a, a, a Belgian IPA. And a uh, uh, also a uh, double double box. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. there you go. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't remember the specific one, but you know, you said we all come back to things, and I was thinking, yeah. I was like, I had something that was really sweet. Recently. I guess I had it last week with you mm -hmm. when we were talking, and it was yeah, just I don't, I wish I remember exactly what it was, but it was a, a double box, something like that, and uh, and that's what I was drinking a lot of seven or eight years ago, uh -huh. box and doppelbox. I was just like, this is an interesting, different kind of beer yeah, we, profile yeah. and stuff. Pipe, and Pipeworks as a company just bought a case of Celebrator to drink for, our, for our last like, packaging day. It's like, okay. it's like it the from, best one. It's, yeah. it's the I mean, best. Yeah. And it's so great when it's so hot out and you're just sweating and you've got this <laughs> real heavy Celebrator beer. It's just, <laughs> right. I turned my wife on to it. We went to Lashets a couple of months ago. She never had one before. I'm like, you got to try this. It's on draft. When you see wow. that on draft, I'm like, and she fell in love with it. So now I got to keep it in the mm -hmm. house stocked. She loves it. Yeah, we just took two four packs up on our roof and drank them while <laughs> yeah. watched cars go by. That's um, awesome. Yeah. That's kind of your, your, your celebratory ending of the current well, brewery. Celebrator. Right. Yeah, but I'm saying that. But, but that was what it was <laughs> for. It was yep. for the, for the it brewery. It was for the closing, yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, uh, let's take a little bit of a break and then come back and uh, talk a little bit about the current state of affairs in craft beer in Chicago. You know, just a small little topic. Mm -hmm. Cool. <laughs> All right. See you soon. <laughs> Welcome back to the Beer Temple Insiders Roundtable. I am your host, Chris Quinn, and I am here with Matt Arata, Mike Shalau, and it. <laughs> Gerald O'Kennard. 
thanks again, guys, for uh, for coming here. And thank you. this is the. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there's one polite Just person thank here. You. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm not polite. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> The uh, this being the first show, I just wanted to, to top uh, tackle some some small topics like the state of craft beer in the United States, stuff like that. Um, but I, I thought I, I did actually want to touch on some of the the baseline topics because I thought you know who knows in a couple of years how things will change, and uh, it's such a broad topic, so uh, it may be difficult to to really kind of get into, but. Um, where do you see uh, craft beer, uh, Gerald? I, let me let me start with you. Where do you see the current craft beer specifically market um, first in Chicago, mm-hmm. and how do you think that is reflecting the current state of craft beer in the greater U.S.? Okay, uh, well, it's growth. Nice, simple question. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's kind of like. I don't want to use the it's it's aggressive growth. I was going to yeah. say cancerous, but that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's just it's it's growth that is just testing the limits, you know, yeah. of what the market will bear, what the shelves will bear. Will they break under the weight of all the new beers that are coming? Yeah, you know? I guess what I should say is is rather than what is the state of what comes to mind for you when mm. you think of today's Chicago beer market? Well, I always feel like I'm. Um, I'm behind. <laughs> like why I don't, is that? I feel the same way. I don't yeah. feel yeah. like I'm in in the loop. That's why I'm trying to learn from you guys, really, because uh-huh. that's that's I'm on a fact finding mission here, really, um, because <laughs> I really don't know all of these places that are opening up. I hear about them, I see the DNA reports and all the news. It's feeds, impossible, but I don't go out and and try all of them like I would love to, and they don't send them in for a review, so I don't get that experience of tasting it blind. So. I feel a little disconnected and overwhelmed, which okay. is probably what a lot of consumers feel. Yeah, I mean, even as someone who makes the product, I feel the same way sometimes when I'm at a store. Like, I see like a bunch of our beers, and I see a bunch of other beers that look really similar, and I don't know mm-hmm. who's making them or like where they're coming from, if they're local even, or what what what's actually new, what just is kind of rebranded, what yeah. what looks new. That's the thing we kind of did as we grew and started making had to keep making new beers because we wanted to and because we realized you know remaking beers wasn't as successful as making new ones is all those beers are kind of uh disparate a little bit in the their branding i'll use air quotes around that because the images are different but that makes it look like a new brewery so people, people give it a look and they'll see the pipeworks logo and they'll get that kind of new citrus double ipa whatever it is but i see that from every brewery now so there's all just it looks like every bottle is from a different brewery on shelves. Mm-hmm. And this kind of, at first, I want to echo exactly what the two of you said. So, so don't feel bad. I feel the exact same mm-hmm. way, and I feel I'm, I'm in the trenches, and mm-hmm. I feel identically. And then it's, it's mirrored every city I go to yeah. around the country or people who are visiting uh, my store from other parts of the country. It's just, oh, yeah, these guys just opened. They just opened, just opened, just opened. And I mean, like, in the past, like, four months just mm-hmm. opened. Mm-hmm. It's, it's insane. And where just a few years ago, in any market in the country, except for maybe Portland, you know, you could have a small to medium to a single shelf dedicated to local craft beer, where now even... The flagship Binnie's, which here in Chicago is the liquor superstore, cannot carry all local 
products. They mm. don't have enough shelf space, Amazing. which is telling. So it can't all be sold uh, in one store. So, I mean, that doesn't mean like, it can't all be sold, but... I mean, the first time I went there was probably five years ago, and they had three rows of craft beer, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, right. or maybe beer, imported beer, like good, very good beer. Like three sides. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Rows, not even and the then whole row. I yeah. worked there about four years ago, three and a half years ago, and it was five, and now it's even bigger than that, and it's still, like, they just can't have mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Between new breweries opening in Chicago, uh, breweries coming to Chicago because they think for some reason it's an undersaturated market, which, <laughs> right. which may have been when you started planning to come to Chicago, <laughs> but in the last two years, it's not anymore. We're going to ramp up. It's going to take us a year, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. It's too, too slow, to be yeah. honest. If, yeah. you, if you start your plan to expand to Chicago and you wait a year and a half, it's your... There's 12 breweries just opened up there is taking your shelf space. Yep. And this city, I think, is really devoted to, to local things. Like, oh, oh, not to a fault, but to a, like a heavy extent where they'll come and get a local thing, I think, before they'll get, take a flyer on some bomber from somewhere outside of Chicago. Sure, especially a bomber. And I think, you know, there are so many bigger breweries coming into Chicago. I think we're just a big market. We're fairly centrally located, so people from either coast and even from down south can get to us easy more easily than they could you know going from coast to coast and i'm it's to a point now where there's only a few regional breweries that aren't here so you can just count okay Mm -hmm. they'll be here they'll be here i remember saying all right well schlafly will be here soon Mm -hmm. sweetwater will Mm -hmm. be here soon Uh, terrapin will be here soon I mean, there's just a, a shrinking... New Glarus list. will never be here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. right. Well, I mean, you hit a certain barrelage, except for New Glarus, and, like, there's only so many people that live in any metropolitan area. So if you're, even if you're in a city, you got to go find 2 million more people and want to drink beer. Mm-hmm. Even if you're in New York, there's, you know, once you eat a certain amount of beer, like, you saturated it, so you got to mm-hmm. go somewhere else. Right, and it, this is kind of bringing me to something that you were tell, uh, mentioning to me, me just the other me day. Matt. Yeah, Matt. Um, you, Matt is that as brewer breweries come into existence, come into the market, come into other markets, what's going to differentiate them? How are they going to differentiate themselves? How are they going to get into your glass? Yeah, that's what I've been talking a lot about that recently is your IPA is pretty much the same as that guy's IPA, which is pretty much the same as that guy's IPA. Um, I mean, yes, they taste a little bit different. And if you have Chris's palate, maybe you can tell the difference. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, you know, besides that, the beer that's inside the bottle or or the can is pretty much the same. So what do you have left? You have your brand. And that's what you have. And that's what you really have to rely on. Your brand, your story, whatever that might be, um, how it looks on the shelf, where it's available, how you manage the brand. Um, That's what's important, I think, in craft and beer in general these days. well, important. Important in what way? The most important thing. Meaning, like, you... Your brand and what people think about it is almost more important than what's in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that, it's, that what's in the bottle is not important. You must have a technically proficient product. Um, it, somebody somebody that, that continually puts out uh, problem beers or just... Some or they have problems with distribution that that makes old beer or whatever various things like that that could always happen. But if you can make a consistent and and well made beer, that's kind of the minimum level, and then everything on top of that is your brand. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, actually, I mean the beer has to be great, and excellent beer will is part of a brand. 
But um, at a certain point, it's like why you're making it. Are you making it just because craft beer is a thing and you're going to open another brewery because you think there's growth in there? Or are you making it because, like, at Pipeworks, we think a lot about that what we're making is, you know, barley, water, yeast, and hops, but it's also the expression of all the people who work there. So it's not just the idea of us to make making a liquid. It's us really putting ourselves into it. Mm-hmm. So we're making it because, like, we're a bunch of kind of weird people who can't think of anything else we would want to do at all more than this. Mm-hmm. So we think that carries through all that, like, branding, quote-unquote, what we do, which is, like, the you know all the social media stuff is just somebody who had a weird idea taking a picture that's not following any sort of rules. But the liquid that goes in that glass is all is equal parts beer and how we feel and how we want to express ourselves mm-hmm. and you, you mentioned it earlier about the uh the martial arts uh uh expert uh line that sure. you were working on uh-huh. and i was i was gonna say that's that for for you guys that is a kind of like a brand extension but like a, a thing that people can get behind that people can understand you guys are the brewery that makes the martial arts right. uh, expert beer versus other creatures sure. line it, and that's a huge brand branding story and brand um, um, thing that yeah. people can get by on, that people can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and what, what, what's cool about that for us is that we can't use that word anymore, but everyone still calls it that. Mm-hmm. Even internally, we still right. call it that. Sure. But it has, doesn't have the word anywhere on it, but it's, you get what that is. Yeah. In there's, that, there's an image to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And actually, those are all employees' eyes. Like on all those, on, on the different one right. has a different employee. It used to be the Ninja the Guy Dan dude didn't it the what the ninja gaiden the video game the, the ninja, first one was right and then after that we started putting ninja gaiden whatever yeah. yeah yeah um which is a video game for people <laughs> out there who may not know uh the funny thing about this ninja series because i can say it uh i can say what the beer was called <laughs> I don't it was know called what you're it was about. called citra ninja simcoe ninja centennial ninja um very very quick side note about it talking about agility the amazing thing about Pipeworks and how they were flying in the face of just all the conventional wisdom. You know, you can't get hop contract. People out there might not realize, well, just make more citra beer. You cannot <laughs> make more citra beer. You, there's m- not enough citra. And there are people like Sierra Nevada who want to get those same hops. So what to me I thought was so amazing with Pipeworks was, okay, we don't have, we can't do a year-round uh, citra beer, but what we can do is do essentially a year-round series based off of the hops that are available at mm-hmm. the time, right. and talk about just taking lemons and making lemonade. Right. I and mean, right. it's it's was awesome. The it was first amazing. time we made citra, uh, non-denominational martial arts expert, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh, we got those hops in a lottery from Boston Beer Company. Ah. So we didn't have a contract for it. We didn't have a contract for it for like two years, but we just scavenged it. So we got 220 pounds of it, and we used it all within two weeks. And then, <laughs> then we're like, oh, no, we should have thought that one out a little bit more. And they're like, wait, people really love this, and we don't have a flagship beer, so why would we you know, <laughs> ration these out if we can make something that's fantastic right now? Mm-hmm. So I'd rather make that than like six mediocre so semi-citrus. Just so I'm clear, the, the, the Ninja... The, 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 the you can say yeah, I know I can say it. Yeah, the, yeah. the hop ninja ones those are the ones that you're you're kind of doing something with the name but the versus series is okay or is everything yeah the versus series is a, a whole different thing okay 
Yeah. Okay, I understand. Unicorns are still free game. The unicorn, Santa Claus, <laughs> yeah. so e- Easter Bunny, all of those yeah, various right. ones yep. could could come back or yep. whatnot. Easter Bunny, Reaper versus Unicorn, Sam versus Unicorn, and Santa versus Unicorn are going to be yearly things at those holidays. Oh, it's the epic unicorn series, it's not the a, epic right. ninja series. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's Something what, like what, that. Whatever you think. <laughs> so, so just uh, quickly kind of getting back in t- uh, t- to what I, we were talking about before, which is the state of, of craft beer and not how amazingly in ingenuitive or in uh, whatever that word. You know, is. we should get back to how great pipe. Yeah, that's what I was saying. The ingenuity that is being. I, I was by talking pipe about works. branding, Chris. Right, the branding. So, so, so uh, <laughs> different way. So then, in in the current state, if brand is becoming more important, not that what's in the can or bottle or keg is not important, but if the brand is more important because it differentiates you and gets your story out there and gets the beer in people's glasses, then is the what's happening next or what is maybe already happening marketing companies getting proficient brewers to make their beers and you have branding companies making beer is mm-hmm. that the future of it they're going to be the best at branding their beer right right they can create a brand but can they create the authenticity of the brand i mean you can dream up a million different ideas for beers but you know as Mike was saying, this is an expression of passion and creativity that's innate in the process, innate in the people making yeah. it. You can't, you can't market, you can't fabricate that. That that's something that's part of the process. That's you know, you can you can do a blueprint for it, you can do a a, a, a sales deck for it, but you know, can you deliver, you know, what that is in the product? Because right. if, if it's just something that's existing abstractly there. So let's yeah. say that you can. Yeah. What do you mean? That you can what? Just I want to talk about the thing we were talking about before. Can I? Yeah. So let's say that you can just make all that up. Mm-hmm. And you want to make a root beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know why people love not your father's root beer so much, especially beer people. It's not really beer, but beer people seem to love it. Um, we're, we're, we're realizing now. Or Which we're, who cares? Or, I'm just going to come out and say right now. Who cares if a beer person or a non-beer person likes it? It's something oh, they like to drink. I don't care. It's just right. interesting to me. I know, that, I know that you don't beer, care, but I just want to put that yeah, out there and, that the and beer, be clear. That the beer community kind of took hold of it mm-hmm. um, when it was kind of a, a malt beverage. but um, has the word beer in it. It does. It does. Mm-hmm. But I think that has a lot which, to do with that, which honestly. Is, I have a bone to pick with that later. But yeah. But yeah. So, we're, so, we're, so we're kind of people... Some, some blogs and people have kind of put the whole story together yeah. and... Maybe at the very, very, very first inclination of the beer, it was this small town, quote unquote, um, project by this guy that discovered it from his uncle and all that stuff. Um, maybe the very first few batches, but it quickly, okay, escalated. So it quickly escalated, and <laughs> and uh, the same company that that makes Four Loco controls it, and now I think Paps controls it, mm-hmm. and. They continue to regurgitate the same story about about the whole thing. It's the uh, Bartles and James syndrome. Yeah. You know, it's like Which the two what? guys on the front porch making a million cases of uh, wine coolers. Right. Mm, I don't think right. so. So if they can tuck a nectar. So if they can do it, then why can't anybody? Well, let's, come can, up can and, I give a little context and then set up the question again? Because not everybody may okay. be to familiar. Regurgitate the right story here. Right. Okay. <laughs> so we're, we're talking it. about a really the runaway success of the Chicago beer scene of the uh, Chicago of whatever Chicago whatever scene. Yeah. 
uh, alcohol, alcohol beverage, beverage scene. scene. <laughs> there is this not your father's root beer. There is a 6%, let's call it. There's a 10% and a 20% version of this beer, and it is absolutely caught on like wildfire. And nice. it is completely outside the normal circles. These people are essentially unknown. Not essentially. They are unknown to the people in the beer community here in Chicago. And it has been an absolute wildfire runaway success. There is nothing even close to it that I know of in recent memory, a single brand that has run away like this. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the current state of Chicago or uh, of craft beer in Chicago and America because they just signed a national deal that's not your father's root beer and they are now going to be made and distributed all over the country. They were bought by Pabst. Right. And, um, and not your father's ginger beer and all this stuff's coming online too. Brand extension. Right. So getting back to your question that we've kind of given it a little bit of. So this is now there's a story or there is something that is out there that there is a guy who came up with this beer in his garage or small brewery, just kind of a, a hobbyist, let's call it, and uh, had some brewing history. Um, these are stories that you can read about from them, and it was uh, his, his... On their website and in their press materials. His like, great-grandfather or grandfather won a brewery in a card game. There's and he's got this, somewhere too, right? There's like a leather-bound <laughs> scroll. Oh, it's, old, all, it's got all of them. Right. Yeah. It's like all this stuff. <laughs> And even from the name, uh, even from the name, small town brewery, small town brewery. Mm-hmm. It's and a little too on the nose. <laughs> right. So what's well, if you were going to write a make so up today, a story that would really sell a beer, mm-hmm. what would you do? Well, let's let's not just jump to <laughs> conclusions. Like, what yeah. happened today is there's a, a, a beer writer by the name of, of Joe Sixpack. He it writes for the he, he's based out of Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. And I think actually is one of the better beer writers out there. And it's actually doing some true beer journalism. I mean, he does some of the, you know, clickbait stuff that a lot of people do. But in this case, he put out the article about that beer that I wanted to be out there. And again, Mm -hmm. I have nothing. I don't care what's in the glass. It's fine. If people like it, that's okay. Yeah. But I have never seen a more intentionally disingenuous branding of a beer ever and nobody knows it and i'm not going to sit there and start just bashing it but like i don't carry it in my store not because of what's in there but because you are deceiving customers and your whole brand is based on deception and i think matt you were you had a really great analogy to um to uh, shock top yeah it's not the same as shock top right because shock top they don't try to there's no fake story behind it. They don't, there's nothing behind it, really. Right, it's just right. shock top, but it's, it doesn't pretend to be something. Right. And there's no, I mean, and that's the difference is they made a beer, they try to compete in a certain market with it and put out some, some logos and some branding and stuff like that, and that's just it. They don't talk about that's made by uh, Miller. That's, yeah. Um, or, yeah. ABM. Uh, AB, yeah. It doesn't matter, really. Mm-hmm. But AB, it's not, they don't talk about that. It's not on their website anywhere. It's difficult to find mm-hmm. that, that there's a relationship between Shock Top and AB. Um, but and, but they're, they don't be, they're not fake. They're not, they're not telling a lie. They're not deliberately right. telling a lie to sell that beer. There's no smoke and mirrors behind it. Yeah. It's just a straight up brand. You like it, you don't. It's right. Shock Top. Hey, great. Yeah. You know? 
where now so what happened with this this Joe six pack is he got on an interview with this uh, with the, the head brewer and founder of the brewery and he noticed that on the call with him was a publicity pe- agent yeah? publicity agent not just a publicity agent but from an extremely expensive PR firm mm-hmm. who has you know, very famously been hired by Google big and, banks yeah. and people <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, sure. Not a guy whose grandpappy had a scroll and this and that. And, and, by the way, might be a great guy. Anyway, um, so, you know, that was odd, he, he, he thought. And, and, you know, anyone out there, please go look at this Joe Sixpack article. Um and, you know, he started getting into it more and more and more. And what he found was that it was owned by, I think, Fusion Products, which is the Four Loco people. And this is something that I had noticed a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time that this beer hit the scene in Chicago was at a, a local tapping event at, right. at Fishman's right down the yeah, street. Exactly. Years ago, mm-hmm. right, a remember, long time ago. This is the first time anybody in the industry that I knew of knew about it maybe one or two would like oh yeah i'd had it one other time Mm -hmm. so i went on to twitter this was like a year ago Mm -hmm. or however long ago and i went back to that date and i started looking for uh the owners of fusion and them on twitter and lo and behold before that date they were already pumping not your father's root beer since Mm -hmm. before anybody had actually heard of it Mm -hmm. and that is really fishy Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of beer geeks coming into the store. And a, a notable story that I remember was a guy from Florida up traveling to Indiana for the uh, Three Floyds Dark Lord Day Beer Festival and was telling me, you know, this is a guy who travels for beer releases. So he's pretty serious in, you know, that realm. Uh, was talking about how he was at Cigar City for another huge beer release called Hunapu Day. And they had a big, epic bottle share. All the biggest, baddest, hardest-to-find beers were there. Mm-hmm. All the whales, bro. All the whales, bro. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was looking for Not Your Father's Root Beer. And he was saying, by far, the overwhelming favorite of the bottle share, the general overwhelming consensus, best beer at the share... Not your father's root beer, 10% bombers. Nice. And that, to me, was, in a way, horrifying and very scary to me. Mm-hmm. Because as a craft beer owner, store owner who chose not to bring in that beer... Um, you're afraid you're missing some wave that's going to crash? Something that's happening? No, I'm afraid of what I just said. Why don't branding companies just find people who are proficient mm-hmm. or take an idea from a literal home brewer who you can, you know, it's kind of like when Rob Lowe went to, you know, Wayne and Garth and, you know, just expl- <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> taking a public access show, like, yeah, you can buy them for nothing. Right, right, right. You know, Blow them up. yeah. I mean, just take something. Oh, you're doing a peanut butter and jelly beer. Sweet, man. I'm just going to take this. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like tech companies that buy a garage after they have million dollars <laughs> get founded. It's like right. Mm-hmm. Buy a tiny home mm-hmm. brewer with that made a root beer. Sure. And, you and know, then you just pump extract into And I don't want to be throwing out accusations. I'm telling you. Right. No, no, this is, the, this is the concern. This is the stuff that I started to piece together. And you cannot get the 
true story. Right. So this is the issue. Well, it's the lack of authenticity. I mean, if it's a marketing scheme, that's what it is. It's you have to acknowledge it as a marketing scheme, but no one's ever going to say, "Hey, this is a marketing scheme," you know, because they're trying to go through a craft beer channel, which is dominated by people that are fill the passion and love and you know the energy is put towards the product and you know if we make money great you know i think we will and let's go for it you know that's Mm -hmm. just a different ethos than someone calculating this will travel well through the channel will build up distribution and you know it'll get yeah become a big brand that's what i was thinking it's like they're either incredibly lucky or incredibly smart yeah and probably not the lucky they're probably Mm -hmm. both right i mean they Mm -hmm. already did it once they did it with people fail all the time you know hey they got a recipe yeah. yeah, it's just another. So recipe. I guess to, right. to bring it back, though, the question is: Is AB InBev just a marketing company, just a brand house, um, or are they the world's largest, or not largest, but you know, second largest, whatever they are? Uh, well, they're definitely a brewery. Yeah, they, do, they do produce. <laughs> they're, they're 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 a brewery, and they have their original recipes and things they've been making for a hundred plus years. So I mean. They, they have that and they fall upon that. I mean, that's the whole basis of the King of Beers and that we've been, that's why they fight battles over the name of, you know, Budweiser and everything. And so, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a question of the future. You know, what is I the future? So, so they, today, are, they are a brewery. Is that irrelevant maybe mm-hmm. to their branding side? Like, yeah. does it matter that they're a brewery? Yeah. And, 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 well, that's, and that's the line. And we're talking about the state of craft today is where is that line when you're a pipe works who that's your whole story and it's your actual life and everything, or whether you're a small town where it's just a story mm-hmm. and your beer is made in a machine uh, at a PAPS facility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's about but, your values at that point. Like, do you value growing an amount? Well, and what's the market value? What's it going to value three years I mean, from now or in five years from now? I'm, I'm speaking of values differently. So our mm-hmm. value is more to have, yeah. to build something where the people that we employ love working there. We make a product that a certain number of people that we get to interact with love that product. And if it then brings us revenue, obviously we have to make, we have to have revenue to continue to grow, Mm -hmm. but it's not revenue over the ethos and the reason we make beer. Whereas that one is like, that's, that's a company, that's a corporation making money. I think I I would argue that they're passionate about their quality and they maintain it and they have systems in place and and they're proud of what they do and the people who make it are proud. So they share a lot of the similar values. It's just a question of the market. Will the market support that particular brand based on what it is and the flavor and how it's being branded versus, you know, your brand or, you know, another craft brand that has more appeal to, you know, younger drinkers that are coming online. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, and I, I generally think that the, the founder and brewmaster, uh, I think that's whatever. Um, I think he's genuinely proud of the success. He's genuinely proud of that beer and with good of that product with good reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think at this point he's looking to me more like the subway Jared guy, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. where he's going to be the face of that brewery of that product, of that product line. Um, But even so, I mean, I I just, I hate to see the runaway success story in beer come on the back of such a disingenuous marketing effort. Well, I I would qualify that too through the craft beer channel because that's how it came into the market. 
and through the craft beer. I remember when it was at the craft beer festivals and things, and and that's where I was first exposed to it. And I was like, hmm, this is odd. I mean, it's obviously sweet and popular, and that's why people like it. Mm-hmm. But they came through the craft beer channel, which has this track of authenticity. You wouldn't care if it came through like the mainstream TV radio channel, just another right. made-up brand. But they decided to penetrate through this channel right, right. and that's the that, thing that that ruffles feathers right they came to that festival yeah. with like a tent of their own and like yeah. blew it out and like a little suspect but they came in had their own little booth like everyone else right that's the authentic yeah. authentic part of it and right. just assumes it's like everyone else mm-hmm. and does it even matter anymore like even if the beer geeks go so. and say well this is this is this is all crap and we were we were all fooled and stuff does it even matter anymore nope probably not because mm-hmm. national distribution in every major grocery mm-hmm. store Across the whole country. They use that channel to break through. And now they've broken through to the consumer who doesn't care. They've mm-hmm. got these kind of tastemakers to hype this thing up, to, to, to get it kind of in the ear. Oh, I, yeah, there's that, there's that, like your father's beer, the, the mm-hmm. root beer beer. And then they see it and they get it and they love it. Mm-hmm. And you think they care where it comes from or right. will ever yeah. research where it came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, so, and so, so it doesn't matter, I which mean, is what ruffles my feathers even more, is that they won. They did it, and they this, won. This is a conversation we had a while ago, like, <laughs> what's more important, the process or the end product? One has to be more important, but they're both incredibly important, don't get me wrong. But apparently for this one, it's just the end product. No one mm-hmm. really cares about the process. I, I guess the question is, right. can somebody do it again? Or sure, was, was this was the, this the one that slipped through the barn door and you know the yeah. door shut now? You know, people learn very fast right now about those yeah. types of things. When you're getting marketed to, you nobody's figure, found you out about this out. yet. Right? Nobody knows about this. It's inc- it's, it's going to be a case study in business school in oh, like five sure. years. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, well, um, yeah. So there you go. the The current state of craft beer in Chicago is uh, not it's your father's root beer. So yeah, it's uh, dominating right. the conversation. We're, we're talking yeah. about it. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I mean, that, 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 I will give them that. I mean, everybody in the beer industry seems to be talking about that beer, and um, you know, there's something to be said. Uh, like, I, I don't have any problems with you know the 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 liquid itself. It's just why'd you have to do it this way? Why did you have to take something that is so near and dear to so many people's heart and hearts and then kind of like use it against them. Um, all right. At, at this point, uh, maybe we should take uh, another break and come back in a few and uh, have uh, another. Oh, wait. Hold on. Which one do we want to do? Let's do this guy. Yeah. Something crunchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. See you soon. Welcome back to the Beer Temple Insiders Roundtable. We, uh, I'm sitting here with, I'm going to go in reverse order now, Uh-oh. Gerald O'Kennard, Mike Shalau, yeah. and Matt Arata. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys, again for, for coming. Flair. <laughs> yeah. And thanks for all you guys who are listening in live. So uh, thank you very much for, for joining us as we uh, raise the, uh, the level of discourse on, on beer here in uh, or in a little part of uh, Chicago. We were going to move on to a different topic, but after we kind of went to the music break, we just continued on and, and really kind of started continuing to discuss different aspects of of the current beer market. So I just asked these guys, hey, well, you just want to keep talking about this? And <laughs> I think it was unanimous that we just want to keep talking about this. So hopefully it's uh, a discussion that is entertaining t- and informative for you guys as well. So, you know, we talked about 
the marketing driven aspect of the current beer market and how that has changed and how perhaps that has become more important. Um, something that is, I'm uh, acutely aware of, um, was, um, well, let's go to, to local first. Um, Matt had made a, a comment earlier in the show about how, you know, what's in the can is, is basically the same and that it's the branding that's going to get it, you know, into your refrigerator off that shelf. And, um, I said that, you know, I disagreed, you know, it didn't take someone with a trained palate to know necessarily what, what the better beer was and whether someone knew it or not that the public would uh, gravitate naturally to the better stuff or, or good examples of things. Maybe not the best, but to good examples. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think in the case of some of the more popular styles right now, these hoppy beers, people may not know that these beers are extremely delicate, that, you know, even the mat- a matter of one month can have an effect on Sweet the flavor havoc. of the beer. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. True. So they might not know that, mm-hmm. but they know the local stuff tastes better. They don't know that it was because it was canned two days ago versus, you know, uh, an IPA from, you know, a big name brewery or something, or even a, a medium sized brewery from a thousand miles away. That's mm-hmm. three, four months old. They just know the local stuff tastes better, so they drink local. Mm-hmm. And I see that happening um, a lot as well. I mean, you had a, a really interesting question that you were kind of posing to us during the break about, you know, kind of history repeating itself. Yeah, sure. In Chicago, Gerald, I'm we, sorry. Had, <laughs> we had a lot of breweries. I forget the exact number. It's somewhere in the order of 50 to 70 breweries before Prohibition. And they were servicing their local communities because people came home and they wanted, they got their beer and, you know, they, they didn't think about going to another neighborhood or trying another brand. They got the local brand and local meant that was their block, their neighborhood, their brewery that was in Pilsen or, you know, on the west side or wherever it was. And I'm just wondering if that's because of the saturation of the market that, that we see coming as far as all these breweries coming online that are competing for the same limited shelf space at the Binnie's and your store and, and other places if that is a future, if, if history does repeat itself. And, and maybe repeating itself for a very different reason. I mean, you said that, you know, back in the day, you know, they just wanted to carve out a, a niche in their neighborhood. I mean, mm-hmm. citywide distribution was a crazy concept Yeah, why would I be, want to be all over Chicago? I mean, that's, that's silly. I don't, I don't have enough horses. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, if you think about it, like, the reason they can't get it there is the beer wouldn't be good anymore and no one and, buy it down right. there. So the, what you're talking about, hoppy beers being good, the thing that drives American, the good fresh drives American craft mm-hmm. beer right now is yep. freshness. It's mm-hmm. time to So that, yeah. I don't think it would be nearly the same extent where you only get things from your local, your corner brewery. But that it would not be a crazy thing if they can sell the beer fast enough. They have small little fermenters, three and a half barrels that they turn over all the time. The beer is always fresh. I don't see why that wouldn't be a sustainable model in at least certain neighborhoods in Chicago. And that is something I see all the time when I was talking about people coming into the store and talking about their their little local brewery that's making these amazing IPAs and pale ales. And I I have them often. I mean, they'll, they'll bring one in and drop them off. And first, I mean, that is to me, yeah, I mean, 
it is touching to me that someone does that. It's really cool. You're talking about people that come in from out of town. Come in and out. Of, even and people who are store. local who are visiting, have visited out of town and want to bring back some of the local mm-hmm. stuff for, for uh, the customers and, and I at the, at the store to try. Um, this stuff is often good, very good. Not, you know, you go online and you see that they're rated, and this is a whole other topic, but, you know, they're rated <laughs> 97s and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it is because the local people are having something really good and they want to get behind it, and, and it is really great. Mm-hmm. You know, is it better than the local beer here in Chicago? Right. Mm, I don't think necessarily so, and I don't think that, you know, the, the local beer from, you know, southern New Jersey isn't, and their hoppy beers are, as, you know, any better than the small-made local breweries from Ashland. No, uh, Ashland, uh, well, Asheville. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, I just think that they're local, and they're mm-hmm. good when they're fresh. Right. right. And, and there's that's context the, to them. Mm-hmm. So how you experience that has much more effect on how you rate those beers Big and time. anyone there is willing to admit Big anyone time. on rate beer is not going to say, well, I had this right there and it was beautiful and I was happy. So it's a 99, but I was mm-hmm. upset and the day, the week was terrible and I drank it in my own apartment and the power was out and my tears now it's fell into it. Yeah. They're rating the, the experience, not the beer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, and the beer's got to be good to get a good rating, mm-hmm. but, sure. but if your experience also has to be good to like get mm-hmm. that or your, your, there's a, I, I think we find a lot that your uh, perception beforehand has a lot to do with how you end up rating it. Mm. So if you traded for traded six bottles to get one, you need that beer to be good, mm. or you need to be terrible. That beer's not going to be anywhere in between like a four point seven <laughs> or a one, like a two. Well, anything but really good is terrible, right? You know, you, you exist in extremes. Yeah, mm. because if it's not amazing then it sucks. It wasn't worth it. Right. And I, first of all, I do think that experience should be part of the rating experience. Now, when people now are purchasing based on those numbers, that makes things a little bit tricky. I don't want to get into that right now. That's, that's a topic for, for another conversation. ground everywhere. Yeah. Right. And also, you know, a reason why looking, I'm looking at you, Gerald, blind tastings. Sure. That's why those are so important. But um, yeah, I I certainly think that these local beers are are definitely, you know, there's a story behind it. It is my local brewery. It is the beer that I picked up when I was visiting at this place. It's the Mm -hmm. West Valeteran thing. You know, you have to go there to get the beer. It's the Hetty Topper thing. It's the Hill Farmstead. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean... There's something about going to that beautiful, bucolic, you know, Vermont countryside and picking up his, you know, the, the beers at, at, at Hill Farmstead, and they're awesome. It's now, the pilgrimage factor. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that yep. builds into the equation. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. and the cream will also rise to the top, and that beer is the right. cream. <laughs> yeah. People don't yeah. keep making trips if the beer mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't. Right. There's there's good. substance to so it. So yeah. I, I think it would be great if there was. Uh, your local neighborhood brewery, say right next to the train, that you could, when you get off in the end of the day, you swing past to pick up a growler. Um, but is that how people buy anything these days? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, depending on where you live. Sure. And we're talking I mean, about the city of Chicago. Oh, okay. Only in the city. With people that who have works. disposable income to yes. buy craft beer. Right. Okay. So I think the analogy we were talking about before is, you know, um, Gerald, you were seeing, will this, saying, will this come back full circle? And I said, you know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the olden days when you imagine your milk getting dropped off. This would be you going to your local brewery and picking up the 
you know, yeah. getting a growler filled. Like Abigail CSA right there. style. Right. Come get it. It's your neighborhood stuff. Right. You come here and you get your growler for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Matt, what, what was your reply to that? Oh, I said, um, do people, um, everybody go shops at Costco. Right. <laughs> um, what do you do when you buy everything at Costco? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, what, There's what, beer for those people. There, okay. So <laughs> it, it, it can work in certain areas in, in neighborhoods that, that have disposable income, let's say, where most of the people walk or walk between, you know, where they're going. Get out the, the train, train go home. It's on the way um, home. But does that work out in the suburbs where the other half of people in Chicagoland live? Um, well, know. then you set up the Krispy Kreme model. You have the light flashing when the new brewers just hit the shelves <laughs> and, you know, people drive up and they go and they get their growlers through the, yeah, I mean, there's business models for this mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I, I'd love to see it. I just don't know if we will. <laughs> That's know, a really I interesting business model, though. I mean, it's like, I have that one, by the oh, way. okay, never mind. You know <laughs> I, what? I'll almost guarantee we'll see it in Chicago, like some sort of brewery that has no desire to package that is not a pub. It just yeah. makes beer, has a tap room. Mm-hmm. You can do it if you have the right location, the yep. right the right size. You gotta make the, the right, right yep. people that mm-hmm. are will work there and stuff yeah. like that. Yep. It can work. Sure. Yeah. It's but, not gonna be the new thing for certain, but it's going to be a new thing. There are there's there's a brewery that's kind of like that out in uh, the San Francisco area, just a, I think a little further north of that. I forget the name of the brewery, but he's got a beer called Death and Taxes. Kind of this eccentric guy mm-hmm. who who makes beer and it's like super cultish. All the geeks love it, and he's only on draft at a certain few places. Mm-hmm. He that makes he, it like, when he delivers make- the kegs himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that that's the same guy? He yeah. makes X number. He hand selects his accounts. You you don't get on his list. Like uh-huh. you're never going to get on his list. That kind of thing. And that, it's the same thing actually in Wisconsin. There's a guy who does the same thing. Maybe uh, that was the one. Black I was Husky. Of. That was Black the one Husky. I was thinking of. He yeah. picks his accounts he distributes i think once a week mm-hmm. and he lives way up north in wisconsin he brews in a log cabin he has got a bunch of old dog sled dogs that he adopts does, his, does his he mush them to the accounts yeah basically and then he does a bunch of like That's spruce so beers and stuff like that with like locally forage spruce tips and stuff like that and um you know like some of this like he he Goes to Kenosha once a week, uh, or is it once a, once a month? I'm sorry, once a month. It's a seven-hour one-way drive, I believe, for him to go to Kenosha to drop off at two different stores. And he doesn't do kegs. He only does bottles, and then he'll do, like, some draft accounts or something like that. And that's it. That's his connection point with Chicago, right? Everyone drives up from Chicago to get in it. I did. Probably. Yeah, I course, mean, I did. Yeah. I mean, we, we distribute all the way up to the border to Wisconsin and to Indiana just in case people want to pop over and grab mm-hmm. one at those places. That's yeah. really smart. But, um, yeah, so there is that model. You know, you could have the Krispy Kreme drive through you know, where you just get your growl or drop yourself. I love yourself. the drive-through liquor store. There needs to be more of those. There's a bunch of those in, in, in Bardstown. PA. Bardstown yeah. has a great one, Teddy's. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you pop your trunk, they drop Tons. it, they dump, dump it in there, yeah. and you're on your way. There used That's to be awesome. a couple out in northwest Illinois. Can't That's check dates when you do that, though. No. Can't check, make no. sure your beer is fresh. <laughs> um, so the, the flip side to that and what you were kind of getting at, Matt, was Costco. And these huge throughput venues, you know, these, these outlets. And I think that plays beautifully into what AB 
for example, once. I think that you've got a captive audience. You've got huge chains who want to be in on it because the people who shop there want craft beer. They mm-hmm. like craft beer mm-hmm. and they want it. And but they want stackable craft. I mean, as a Costco buyer, they're right. stacking craft Well, beer. let's say like Costco mm-hmm. is maybe an extreme example. Let's say Target. Mm-hmm. You know, let's okay. say let's say Target, um, or even Jewel. You know, something like that. Uh, Jewel is a you know local supermarket, but let's say Target because it's national. And um, so Target has a limited amount of space that they can devote to craft. They also have limited resources in terms of time devoted to ordering craft. So they are going to make deals on a much less likely to do a deal on a store-by-store basis than a regional basis. Regional buyers are going to buy from multiple stores at once. So can a Pipeworks, easily anyway, get into a target that way? They need to, you, you guys are self-distributed. Yep. Re- regardless which, you know, of whether that's your plan or not. Right. Mm-hmm. Just for mm-hmm. the sake of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And, and, and Pipeworks being just kind of a, 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 a placeholder. placeholder. Yeah. yeah. Um, Versus, you know, you're talking to regional directors of, you know, the grocery portion Mm -hmm. for for Target, and they're going to talk to their regional AB guys, who are then going to put them in in touch with the the wholesalers, uh, probably. Mm -hmm. And what I fear, again, you know, uh, for self-serving reasons is, you know, you've got these small sets, as they call them, these small sections of, uh, of beer, and you've got AB, for example, just to use them because we were using them before, who can control that set now so much more easily. They have so much more access to the buying power, and there's such a limited range, and there's such huge throughput. So rather than a 1,000 different beers, let's say they have 100 different beers. Now, you can control those 100 or a big portion of that 100 so much more easily. And just like the flow of those 100 is just immense. They need to be stackable, like you were saying, mm-hmm. Gerald. And do you feel, guys, that that, that is another what, uh, direction that craft beer is going to go? It's going to go more mainstream, and you're actually going to start seeing what happened, you know, in the past. You're going to start seeing less options available to people because Anheuser-Busch doesn't want to have to deal with a thousand different SKUs. They don't want to have to go into the mom and pop store and, and compete on that level. They want to compete on the, all right, we have to deal with these a hundred. Well, shoot, we've got 50 of them. So we can dominate this. And you want Bud Light? We got it for you. You want a nice, easy drinking weekend beer? You got 312 Pale. You want something a little bit more hoppy? We got IPA. You want, oh, you're, you're really into craft beer, huh? You like the big stouts? How about this? Bourbon County Stout for you guys. And in fact, we're going to be doing the releases here of our special variants of Bourbon County Stout. The rarest of the rare. Available Black Friday at Target. At Target. Mm-hmm. Bourbon County Stout. I mean, they had Black Friday at Walgreens. You don't think if Target wanted to put their money behind it, they could, like, in two years? Not that they would. Right. But they could. It's like the dystopian future you're facing. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, I mean, they've you know, got I, the buying power to, to do that. And... They're certainly going to be able to leverage Goose Island. Say, listen, man, we've got end caps. We've got stacks of all your stuff all year round. 
give us this or we're going to start going it to whatever craft brewery that Miller just bought. You know, I think it's the, the, the growth and the expansion channels are going to be all over the place mm-hmm. and all different kind of ways. And you can, you look at wine and see how that's grown and matured over the years. You see at target, you know, the, the biggest names you see Gallo and, and Coppola and a handful of others that I don't know anything about wine, but I could come up with those two. Um, <laughs> yellow tail. Yeah. Yellow tail. The there good, you go. The good They're always at Let's target. Let's do Mandavi. Cause I've got okay. a great comeback. There you go. Mandavi. Mandavi. Um, uh, at Target, and and then they also have some other other ones that are that are next to those that some people might buy, and so you're going to see the same thing uh, in beer, and you already see Bud and Miller and stuff like that. That's just going to go away a little bit. There's going to be a little bit less Bud Miller. There's going to be a little more, uh, not Sierra Nevada, but there are more Goose Island and a little more regional stuff available at the at the at the Target, and then you'll have a handful of other. Uh, large producers that aren't quite regionals that are available at the local mm-hmm. targets and all the chains. I mean, that's just going to how it's be. And then if you want something more specialized, like a wine that's more specialized, you go to a more specialty store. You go to just... Uh, mm-hmm. I, I disagree. I think that the beer people are very aware of that model that you were talking about with wine. And they are trying to break that model because they want one-stop shop. They want you to associate, um, and I feel bad picking on Goose, but it's so easy to. Um, I love, everyone who's listened to my other podcast knows how much I love Bourbon County Stout. Um, You know, Walgreens had the second biggest Bourbon County Stout Black Friday release. They got all the crazy stuff. And, um, you know, so let's say that is is target so the difference is with wine and i said mondavi use mondavi you know the the you know mondavi reserve basic stuff is at jewel opus one is not mm-hmm. they do not put opus one in jewel that goes to the high-end restaurants and sometimes the high-end wine shops the high-end beer they are using it so people say well shoot i can get I mean, they get they get Bourbon County proprietors. They get Bourbon County vanilla. They get all the crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. They're getting so much of it. Do so I that- can get everything from my Sunday, you know, lawnmower beer to the high end all here. I don't have to go anywhere else. Oh, by the way, we're controlling the segment. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's very well. I don't know. My my fear is that it's. It's not a mistake. It's not just a happenstance, and it's that they're trying to control, the, you know, just the overall beer market the that way. The spectrum, beer. the entire mm-hmm. spectrum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if they'll ever actually get all the way there. I think the consumer that is buying most of the beer at Target is a right now a craft beer consumer that wouldn't have made it to drinking craft beer for another few years if it wasn't at Target. Mm-hmm. So it's someone who's kind of getting an entry. Uh, a door open to them if they're mm-hmm. just going through their day shopping at Target like oh this is a local six pack boom that's not someone who's going to show up and talk to you and be like hey I'm really into IPAs right. so as for since the growth is still going pretty gangbusters that's someone who's now getting at least into craft beer and Germany. some some even small toe in the water and type some of them way. will make their way to Pipeworks right. I mean there'll be a portion mm-hmm. of them who really get into it. Yeah, I, I had a conversation with a friend who was like, "Well, you know, I work at a bar, and sometimes people only get three one two. Maybe they then maybe then they'll get Allagash White." And I was like, "That's still a win, ultimately." 
because they came from drinking a macro beer that now all the proceeds go to Belgium uh, instead of America, which I pro America American business. <laughs> it's but a it's like it's Fourth still of July a, weekend. It's, it's still a yeah. It's okay, <laughs> Uncle Sam. It's still better that those people are buying that at Target than if they were never to buy craft beer at all. That's right. So we're not quite there yet, where it's like we're competing with the beer that's getting sold at Target directly. Uh, it's obviously part of the same pool of money people are going to spend on craft beer, but the like the artisan producer as we are currently and as most of these places start up is not right now hurting from that. It's actually going to ultimately in the next, in the short term benefit in the long term, it's hard, really hard to say. Mm-hmm. Maybe they will control if you make, if you make a hundred thousand barrels plus in a regional market, maybe they'll have to control part of your distribution. Sure. I mean, I think you're making an excellent point that it, it's not as simplistic as they want to control this and that will de facto stop people from Mm-mm. from going to other outlets right. you know exactly. it might might control bourbon county mm-hmm. but in a way that i think diminishes that beer to some people that beer and I introduces it, it to so, introduces it to others yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean yeah, it's a double-edged sword mm-hmm. for certain goose in a, we- in a weird way exists on the opposite of the spectrum I, every time i talk to someone who's like gets into craft beer they're like, oh, you know, I had a 312 or I had some sort of like wit beer or like something like that, something approachable. Or it's I had Bourbon County Stout and it blew my mind like right off the bat. So they exist in these weird you, extremes. You get, you get the, this is beer? Yeah, mm-hmm. this could be beer. Yeah. It's like, so it's, I think that's a, ultimately for the segment of craft beer, it's probably good. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of approachable, accessible Goose Island beer out there that if people want to delve further, they eventually would have become craft beer consumers. If they don't, and they just keep drinking three one two, it's fine. They would have they would have never made it to craft beer. Okay. Otherwise, is just my conjecture. Mm-hmm. Now, do you does anyone here think that there is a potential for um, some of these bigger outlets to be able to offer enough um, high quality examples of beer to make going other places really? Not that important because you know what they may have a hundred, but those hundred are, are pretty darn good. They're going to be sure. maybe not better or worse, but, but comparable. But you're shaking your head, Matt. Target, why? No, no. I mean, you go to you go to a Jewel or a Target. There are a handful of brands of anything in the store. You don't get you don't get a hundred different types of clothing uh, brands at mm-hmm. a Target. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get a hundred different brands of beer at Target either. You're never going to get that. You're going to get five or six. Well, there's also, also the point, like, I'm sure you know this better than us, but those are loss leaders for those places. So they're not making a bunch of money on selling craft beer. And those are corporations that want to make money, target all those, like, big box kind of things. So how long are they going to take a loss on selling craft beer at, that, at those price points that people expect now when they go to Target? If you train a consumer that this six pack of something is worth six ninety nine at Target, you're not gonna then bring it back, charge nine ninety nine and have someone think it's a great deal again. Right. Where the loss is though, I wonder if the loss leader is the supplier. The it, supplier yeah. has to, you know, cut down their prices to the point that they fit the margins that the retailer has to make it. Sure. I've boxes. been told in the case of Target that that is not the case. I think what you may be referring to, Mike, is uh, a recent uh stack that I saw at at Target with a, a 
a, a big regional brand that would typically go for, let's say, 10 to $11 a six-pack on sale for five ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to the I, rep. and has to be under there, even there. Yeah, I mean, from what I was there. told, that they were losing two cents a case on that, that the deepest discount uh, target was. Uh, it wasn't a pinch on the supplier side, okay. at least in that okay. instance. Okay, it's good to know. Yeah. And that it was right by the front door, and it was a loss leader. Um, one, to get people buying, but also to get, like I was just mentioning before get people used to the idea of buying beer at target Mm -hmm. oh what a great deal i'm gonna pick it up this time Mm -hmm. and then when that runs out in their fridge you know they go back to target the next time two bucks more and they say i got beer they may not even remember a month later that they got such a great deal they just remember i got beer here last time and i'm gonna get beer here this time Mm -hmm. it was a special sale right you know um those companies aren't dumb (laughs) no no they're they're very very smart yeah they know what they're doing. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think that's, again, the, the current state of things. I think these big guys from the brewer side to the branding and marketing side to the outlet, you know, the, supply, um, the, the retail side is starting to realize that this isn't really going anywhere and that this is, you know, something that is can make some money. Well, yeah, you look at traditional macro beer sales and they're flat. So what do we do? How do we juice up the market? We know people still drinking beer. What are they drinking? Oh, they're drinking this stuff. Let's get the brands that make sense that will draw people through our door. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just basic, you know, stormanship. So uh, we mentioned this a little bit before, but Gerald, you may be a really good person to to pose this question to. Why do you think some of these big breweries aren't just i mean they've got some of the most talented and brilliant brewers in the in the planet on the planet i guess not inside the planet um and uh why why are they spending this money to acquire brands some of which have i mean fairly i mean 10 barrel i mean they're i mean it's a great brewery but it's got a tiny footprint of recognition mm-hmm. um why are they spending the money to acquire these breweries rather than just make their own and be like hey this is budweiser we're going to stand you know we're just going to stand on its merit we've got great breweries and tell us it's not good well i i think it's always uh you know this is why corporations merge and acquire other corporations they do it because those businesses that are outside of their sphere have something that seems attractive to them and is worth the investment, whether they buy into it or buy the whole thing, because they want to increase their market share. They realize that they're flat, this guy's growing, it might not be you know, a million case brand, but maybe we can leverage it and create like a panoply of brands that will get us to that, that mark that we want to be at. I mean, it's, it just comes down to market forces, really. I mean, it's supply and demand. If they see the demand is shifting somehow, they have to be agile enough to respond to it. And their response is, well, we're sitting on a lot of cash. Let's invest. But why, think- invest, why invest in another brewery rather than invest in your own making something I think of your it's own. Easier. They tried that, didn't they? They, they tried that. It's easier, actually. They've been coming somebody. out with new beers yeah. all the time. Right. Like that they thought were going to be a, a like craft what? killer. Like what? Well, like American Amber Ale came out. Not a bad, not a, not a beer. Right. Not a bad beer. Where'd it go? You're talking that about was, like Bud, yeah. 
Bud American or Amber. Uh-huh. Something they did like that and three beer trial test kind of promotion right. thing. Bud Fortune. What's that? Fortune. Well, that was Miller Fortune. Miller Fortune, sorry. And then there's, you know, the Bud Light Platinum and all these different things. But none and of Land those Shark and are all these. anywhere close to what the, the breweries they've acquired make. Mm-hmm. To the beers the breweries that they've acquired make. Uh, right. When have they tried to make a beer like those being made by the breweries they acquire and why not blue moon I, makes very interesting stuff all the time but you still think it's blue moon you don't right mm-hmm. you you just i think typically I, when a new place the new company enters a segment there's much more scrutiny on them about quality and about uh everything like look at uh tesla tesla mm-hmm. enters cars they have three fires uh out of all the cars they make which is actually a much much lower percentage of than gasoline cars, mm-hmm. but because they had three fires, it was everywhere. Right. I think it's the opposite in beer. So if Budweiser comes out with Budweiser IPA, uh, the scrutiny is going to be on. This is not perfect. This mm-hmm. is not a, like a perfect pale ale, and you market it like a mother. Uh, can I swear? Yeah, uh, like, we, we understand uh, yeah, what the swear it. was going to be. Uh, so like, like a the mother. spotlight is too too on them. So it's easier to buy Ten Barrel or uh, Blue Point. Or Goose Island, something that people already like, something that's already mm-hmm. doing that, and, and successful just doing that, it, and su- very successful doing it. So you're saying they present that their and, reputation and, is too closely intertwined with the people who would buy an IPA with shittiness for them to be able to effectively get someone to tr- even try it with an open mind. What would be your, what would be if uh, your sales rep comes in and says, "Hey, this is Budweiser uh, Double IPA. It's brewed with." Mosaic, Citra, and something you've never heard of. I How would, good would that beer have to be for you to be like, this is really good? I, I, th- I, and I think you're really, probably more open-minded really than anyone else. That's hope. a great question. I really, really hope that I would be open to it. And I honestly think I would be. I mean, I still try to drink some of the big guys. I mean, not that big. But nobody's come up with something that interesting for me to even want to try. Blue Moon has come close. Mm-hmm. Blue, right. Blue Moon has come really close. Stuff. But I haven't, I haven't tried them. Nobody has come in uh-huh. to sell me on them. Right. They Chris, stopped coming in. I, Chris, I think that you uh, and your profession and stuff are a little more open-minded in the industry and stuff. And if you... It's, it's one thing to go and, and say, uh, I'll take a chance on carrying... Uh, Budweiser double IPA in my store and there's another thing saying the average person coming into your store saying Budweiser double IPA what's that I'm never going to buy that and sure. they're not going to do it they're, they're not even going to make that unless they can mm-hmm. put it into the entire distribution channel and is a Budweiser double IPA is it going to appear is it going to appeal to the people that are already buying Budweiser no is it going to appeal to the people that are already buying craft probably not right but i mean they could they could use the the not your father's approach in that they could seed it in certain places if they put it into it's so hard it's hard right but it's it could be that they, brand but, that brand is a lager brand that's the king of beers they're not going to mess with that they're never going right. to tinker with their primary brand no and, matter where it is on the popularity scale and goose already did that Right. So they already went through that channel. They're very sure. successful. They have now a you just scoop it up. You scoop it up from the yeah. top. Right. They have a place to do all that experimentation through Goose. Right. Yeah. And, and they're so big. Starting a brewery that like that small and doing it in a way that you wouldn't become extremely suspicious of it, it would almost be impossible for them to make money off of. Right. Uh, actually, I, you know, I don't know that for a fact, but it would seem not worth the amount of money they would make off it for them. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we are coming very, very quickly 
and very closely to the end here. I wanted to thank you guys all so much. Um, Matarata, Mike Shalau, and Gerald Kennard um, for for coming here. Um, before we go, I wanted to see, I wanted to just go around one more time and see if you guys had anything that you wanted to plug or any kind of final comments before we go. Um, uh, and just kind of do one last kind of farewell. If you don't, you can just say, I like Pilsner or Kel. Next. <laughs> uh, Matt, why don't you I, start? I like Pilsner. No, I, uh, yeah, just come uh, check out our show at beerdownload.com. Uh, we still, we do it every other week now, so not quite as often as before, but uh, still doing uh, head-to-head matchups of, of beers that interest us. Really awesome show. I've been listening to it for years. It's an excellent show, and it is so much more than just a... This is better than that. It is. Um, we talk about other things, kind of like some of the things that we talk about here on the show today, but, you know, just whatever is going on. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out and even going through the uh, the back catalog. So yeah, start started def- episode one. Yeah. Deal. How about you, Mike? What's- uh, I want to plug our uh, can release event at the Beer Temple. So Pipeworks is going to be making 16-ounce four-packs, and we'll be coming out with Ninja vs. Unicorn, and the uh, first place we'll be releasing is the Beer Temple on uh, July 16th. Now you just took my my plug away from me, but sorry. <laughs> no, that's why you got to go first next yeah. time. And uh, Gerald, anything well, you like I, to say? I've in been closing? laboring away for a, a couple of years now on a brand new website. Our website is tastings.com, so we're relaunching it in August. So I invite everyone to come check it out now and then see how it transforms into an even better website. And in you guys, August. you have some pretty big. Uh, plans for, for yeah, that. it's gonna it's gonna be big. We're rolling out a lot of stuff over the next couple of years, but it starts with a whole new design and functionality. It's gonna be great. Yeah, I, I've seen a little bit of it, and I think it it really is gonna fill um, uh, a, a niche that is just completely underserved right now. So I'm 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 very excited about that as well. So tastings.com and and um, hey, when when you're looking at, out there on the on the on the shelf, you know, look for the uh, the tastings and the, the BTI medals out there. I mean, it is a wonderful indicator of, you know, can you trust uh, what's going to be in the in the bottle or can? And that goes across all kind of uh, beer, wine, and spirit segments. And uh, I'm, I, I truly believe that. As for me, um, you know, craftbeertemple.com, uh, you can certainly uh, check out my store if you are in Chicago. But we have an online store as well and a podcast I just wanted to thank you guys all for uh, joining this on our uh, joining us on the inaugural episode, and uh, thanks so much to Lumpen Radio, and thank you all so much. This thank has been this is fun. This has been wonderful. So, fun. yeah, uh, thank you, I don't have a closing line to say, but I guess un, uh, until then, uh, the round table's closed. I don't know. <laughs> Bye. How do you close a round? Table? I don't know. You need a big gavel. <laughs> yeah. Hold up the table. <laughs> Never be heard or seen from again, 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 again. Remember this is what we wanted. Remember this is what we said. To never be heard or seen from again, 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 again. Remember this is what we wanted. Remember this is what we said. To never be heard.